KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, August 4th, a new parks master plan. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego is now the largest county in the state to not have a mask mandate. Sacramento, San Francisco, and seven Bay Area counties have joined L.A. in mandating masks for indoor spaces. Meanwhile, lines wrapped around Kaiser Permanente in La Mesa on Tuesday with a surge of people looking to get tested. There are 21 county testing sites providing free COVID-19 testing, and many sites do not require appointments. Sweetwater Union High School is also offering free rapid COVID-19 tests for students in the district. Their school year started two weeks ago, and they're already seeing COVID-19 cases among students. Eriko Carreno's daughter was among those getting a test after she was exposed to the virus in class at East Lake Middle School. Although his daughter is vaccinated, Carreno says they're switching her back to the hybrid model. We are afraid of what's going on right now. Out of 35,000 students attending in-person classes, 58 students have tested positive, according to the district's COVID dashboard. The city of San Diego is asking the Coastal Commission for permission to protect the sea lion rookery at La Jolla Point. They're seeking an emergency permit to protect visitors and marine mammals along the coast at Ellen Scripps Browning Park. The move could allow the city to put up signs saying the area is closed and put up chains near the stairwell near Boomer Beach to block access to the shoreline. The signs and chain would remain up until sea lion pupping season is over in mid-September. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. San Diego City Park's master plan hasn't been updated in 65 years. That is until Tuesday when the San Diego City Council approved the first major overhaul. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the goal is equity. In the past, neighborhood parks were largely funded by fees tied to new development. That meant newer and wealthier neighborhoods with more growth received a disproportionate share of park money. The new system requires that a portion of development fees, regardless of where they come from, go to underserved communities. Councilmember Vivian Moreno says the status quo has left her constituents behind. Kids have no safe place to play in their neighborhoods. Seniors don't have safe places to walk and exercise. Uh, Park deprivation is why you see people playing soccer on basketball courts and in parking lots. And we felt it tremendously during uh, the lockdown. Councilmember Chris Kate cast the only vote against the park plan, saying he fears his district, which includes the fast-growing community of Kearney Mesa, could be left behind. We have communities in my district that are going to be seen tens of thousands of new units be built. 
um, potentially over 100,000 new residents come into my communities um, with really no assurances or guarantees that even a small bit of the funding that would come from those communities will go back to those communities for parks. The park master plan update also includes incentives for more affordable housing, and it changes how the city evaluates park quality, with less emphasis on acreage and more emphasis on a park's amenities. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. San Pasqual Academy is the residential educational campus for foster youth in Escondido, and it's been granted an extension to keep operating until next year, but no new students can enroll. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne says a lawsuit was filed on Tuesday to secure the school's future. The current foster youth at San Pasqual Academy will be able to stay on the campus until next June. In the meantime, no new youth will be referred to the program meaning the academy's future looks dim. So to take them out of this system and put them back in the structure, remember these are the kids that uh, were not only not thriving within the typical foster care system, they kind of fell out of the system. And, you know, they could uh, very easily end up on the streets because there's no placement uh, for them. Charles Lamandry is the attorney representing SPA supporters. They have filed a lawsuit against the state of California and the county of San Diego for the attempt to shut down the program. He says SPA is a unique institution and needs a carve-out in the federal law that prevents its funding. They're going to need to give it a special licensing category because it is unique. It's not a typical foster care home situation, uh, nor is it a a group home. It's certainly not one of these short-term residential uh, facilities either. LaMondre also claims the state and county violated the foster youth's rights. There's something called the um, Foster Youth Bill of Rights which is a, a statute in the Welfare and Institutions Code, which says that um, children in the foster care system, particularly those who are in the teenage years and high school uh, bound, are entitled to have input uh, into decisions that are gonna affect their uh, education and their uh, living arrangements. The youth and staff of SPA found out about the closure through a newspaper. Natasha Strain is a SPA alumni and one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit. This place is like for kids 12 to 18, and that's the gap in foster care, where 12 to 18 is where foster parents usually don't want, like don't want teenagers, and that's where the where adoption usually ends, because kids usually get adopted below 12. So this place is like, it kind of like helps fill that gap, like 12 to 18 year olds feel like more, they feel more wanted here, like a place like where they can, you know, be a teenager and grow up and become a better person in life. LaMondre feels confident that a solution will be reached. This is not a controversial issue. Uh, Everybody wants to help kids do better. And this is a program that works. So this is something we should all be able to get behind. And that reporting from KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. San Diego oceanographers have helped recover the remains of a military flyer who crashed off the shore of Vietnam more than 40 years ago. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has the story. Recently developed underwater search technology has helped find the remains of an Air Force major. He was aboard a plane that crashed into the South China Sea in 1967. Finding the crash site in the open ocean took some work. One of the workhorses is a Um, underwater robot that has side scan sonar on board and allows us to survey wide areas in a 
very efficient means. Two B-52s collided and crashed. Seven crew members were rescued, but three remained missing. Researchers had a general location, but they had to scour eight square miles of ocean floor. It makes it much more difficult to sort of put that exact pin in the map where the accident occurred. And so this being so far offshore, you know, we had a decent location, but it's not like today where all these aircraft have, you know, you know GPS units in them that are giving them, you know, sub-meter location. The debris field was located under about 80 feet of murky water. Divers inspected the underwater site. That led to the recovery of the remains of radar navigator Paul Avalisi. The search happened because of cooperation with Vietnam, the U.S. Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency, and researchers in San Diego and Delaware. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. California voters will decide whether to recall Governor Gavin Newsom in September. But how does a recall election actually work? CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon explains. Voters will be asked two questions in the September 14th recall. One, should Gavin Newsom be recalled or removed from the office of governor? Two, if he is recalled, who should replace him? This question will include a list of the 46 qualified candidates, plus a space for a write-in answer. The governor will be recalled if more than 50 percent vote yes on the first question. The candidate with the highest number of votes will serve out the rest of his term, which ends at the end of 2022. The Secretary of State's office says voters are allowed to participate in both questions, so even if you vote no on the recall, you can still cast a vote for a replacement candidate. You can also leave a question blank. And that was CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon. Every active voter will get a ballot in the mail for the recall beginning August 16th. Coming up, every year 20,000 sexual assaults are estimated to occur in the military, but only about 1% end in convictions. Junior enlisted service members do not trust their leaders to handle these problems. They don't trust that there will be accountability for sexual assault in particular. We'll take a closer look at how President Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin are changing the way these cases are being handled. That's next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
The Defense Department estimates 20,000 sexual assaults take place in the military each year, but only about 1% end in convictions. President Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin have endorsed major changes in how those cases are handled, but reforms likely will take years. Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project. When troops are sexually assaulted or harassed, they often face a daunting path to justice. If they choose to report the attack, their commander decides whether the case goes to trial and what the accused service member is charged with. But critics say that's a problem because commanders aren't legal experts. In many cases, they're also colleagues or friends of the alleged perpetrator. Junior enlisted service members do not trust their leaders to handle these problems, they don't trust that there will be accountability for sexual assault in particular. Lynn Rosenthal, an advocate for survivors of gender violence, chaired an independent commission that looked at possible fixes. It recommended that cases be handled by independent prosecutors. Speaking on the PBS NewsHour, Rosenthal said those would be military lawyers who specialize in sexual harassment and assault. By moving the technical legal decisions about whether or not to uh, charge a suspect with a crime, and then whether or not to send that case to trial. Independent prosecutors are better able to make those decisions, and we hope to see a restored trust within the military. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has endorsed the commission's report. He's also embraced a broader goal of changing the culture of the military and providing more resources for victims. But that will likely mean hiring a lot of people and developing a new framework for the thousands of sexual assault and harassment complaints the military receives each year. Congress and the Defense Department will have to find the money and change military law. Lori Manning is with the Service Women's Action Network. My concern is that by the time it goes through the congressional uh, meat grinder and the interpretation of, uh, well, now what, six different military services on what the report says and what Congress did to it says and how they implemented this a lot that can go wrong. You can have a map to California and end up in Delaware. The reforms also have to overcome resistance from within the Pentagon. Despite Austin's announcement, the military service chiefs have been reluctant to take sex abuse cases out of the chain of command. They argue it would erode good order and discipline and take an important responsibility away from leaders. Don Christensen, president of the advocacy group Protect Our Defenders, says reform efforts won't succeed without their buy-in. Really, a lot of this is going to depend on the attitude of leadership in the military. If I were President Biden, I'd be calling the members of Joint Chiefs to staff and say, this is important to me. I'm your commander in chief. Get on board, make it clear to the force this is going to happen and that you support it. With all the work that lies ahead, the new rules likely won't be in place until at least 2023. Manning says in the meantime, victims of sexual assault and harassment still have to work through their chain of command. We may see some changes with commanders right away because they they know they're being watched a lot closer than they were. But I think we have to get the message out to those who are thinking about reporting it that, hey, the old system is in place until it's not. Under that old system, many people choose not to report because they're afraid of retaliation or they worry crimes won't be properly investigated. And Manning says with new rules on the horizon, some may choose to wait in hopes that their cases will be taken more seriously. That was Carson Frame reporting. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 
That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.